Well, good morning, Sailorville. Morning. Now we're talking. <laughs> he actually did this in the first service and surprised me. <laughs> he had more toilet paper in this service than in the first, hanging off of him. I told him it worked good because uh, that was a prequel to our Vacation Bible School, and this message is a prequel to uh, the new series we begin next week titled, Your Questions, God's Answers. So uh, today we're going to answer one of those questions, but I, I had to kind of retrofit it to the construction theme, and I think you'll, you'll understand that here in just a, a few moments. Matthew chapter 16. If you'd make your way there in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 16. It was somewhere in the between 5 and 600 BC that a Spartan king of Sparta, Greece, you know the, the lower part of Greece, famous empire, movies have been done with about the, these, these elite soldiers and whatnot. The Spartan king was talking to a visiting king and boasting about his impenetrable walls, the fortress of the impenetrable wall that he had around Sparta. The visiting king could not help but notice there was no wall around Sparta. And he pointed this out to the king. Where, where is this wall you speak of? To which the king pointed to all of his elite soldiers and said, these are the walls of Sparta. Every man a brick. I want to talk to you today about the church that Jesus promised he would build. The church of Christ is referred to metaphorically in the New Testament in a bunch of different ways. Uh, like it's called the body of Christ. It's called the bride of Christ. It's called the household of God. It's called the family of God. And it's called a building. Hence our layout here. And since buildings are made of bricks, we look to Jesus as the master builder who famously said in this passage, I will say it. Build my church brick by brick. And as I was contemplating this message in this passage, I got thinking theologically, what goes through our minds when we think about what Jesus is doing today? We think of his accomplished work, and I think some of us just think he's just up there sitting next to God the Father just waiting to come back. He's more active than that. However, he is, he is seated in his finished work. The Bible tells us that after he purified our sins, Hebrews chapter 1, he sat down at the right hand of God. And that's a powerful statement because if you look at the temple complex and you look at all the furniture in the temple, uh, the priest never had a place to sit. There's a candelabra, a table of showbread, there's altar and incense, there's, there's all of this, but there's never uh, uh, an actual chair to sit in. And the truth of the matter is uh, that was depictive of the fact that their work was never done. Jesus finished the work. He sat down. He's also seeking and saving the lost. That's my friend Dave Heisterkamp at, at, at uh, Lakeside Fellowship likes to call this Jesus' purpose statement. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost, right? He's also confessing to the Father 
those who confess him. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, He who confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father who is in heaven. So if you brag on Jesus down here, he brags on you up there. That's pretty cool. He's also interceding. Talk about another purpose statement. He's interceding on behalf of all Christ followers. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25 says, He ever lives to make intercession for us. Talk about a purpose statement. He lives, he exists to bring you and me before God, the Father. He's also holding the very universe together. Colossians chapter 1 says, by him, by his omnipotence, by his power, by his very existence, he holds all things together. He's also acting as the head of the church, according to Ephesians chapter 1. So when someone says to you, who's the head pastor at Sayreville Church? You say, Jesus is. One of my favorite descriptions of Jesus is in Revelation chapter 2, where it says, he says, I I walk in your midst. Have you ever read that? That's why I like to say we we don't worship Jesus as if he were here. We worship him because he's here. And finally, he's building his building, brick by brick. I will build my, say it, my church, right? Well, let's look at the passage where he said that in Matthew chapter 16. And just to know, I mean, he's been on a flurry of ministry activity, teaching, preaching, healing, feeding. He's coming He started to circle the bend toward the end of his life. Two and a half years plus have passed since he was initiated into ministry through his baptism. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, that's Caesarea Philippi is as far north in Israel as you can go. It's right on the mount, right on the base of Mount Hermon. It's where the headwaters of the Jordan come. And Caesarea Philippi is a beautiful area about 1,700 feet above. Uh, the Sea of Galilee, it's very cool. It's a beautiful place to be. You could almost drink the water right there. It's so clear because by the time you get to the Jordan at the end of Israel, it's like mud. That's an, but anyway, he, there in, he's in Caesarea Philippi. He asks his disciples, now watch what he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, Oh, yeah, but who do you say I am? And Peter, always, you know, the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth, steps up to the plate. But he, he nails it here, right, doesn't he? he? Simon says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, great job, bingo. You didn't figure that out on your own, Peter. My father showed, you didn't come up with this. My father in heaven revealed this to you. And verse 18, he says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So this is Jesus talking to his disciples in this retreat center, and we have this commercial, this prequel to this series next week. uh, We're going to be answering questions that are most often asked. 
This one isn't so much asked amongst us, but it is asked, and it's a hugely important question. You need to know how to answer it, and more importantly, you need to understand the implications of the answer to the question, and the question being, who or what was the rock of Matthew 16, verse 18, when Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. What's the answer to that? When I first became a Christian, I made a beeline over to my parents' house, uh, and being raised a very, uh, very strong Roman Catholic, I went to my parents' house and began to talk to them about the faith that I'd entered into, that I trusted Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of my sins and for eternal life. And back and forth we went, and my mother said, Pat, you can't leave the church. I said, well, why do you say that? Because of the promise upon this rock. Jesus said he'd build the church. Peter was the rock. Our Pope is the rock. And I had barely known about this passage at the time. But I would ask you, is that what Jesus is teaching here? Because I would submit to you, if this is what Jesus was teaching, as our friends in the Roman Catholic Church would teach, we ought to all make a humble pilgrimage back to Rome if that's what it's teaching. Now, as I said, Jesus has been on a whirlwind tour, miracles, all the way to outright rejection and calling out the leaders of Judaism. His days are winding down. He comes to this retreat center, which I've been to. It's a beautiful area. Uh, the headwaters of the Jordan there. It's very cool. It's very beautiful. And he, there's just sort of chillaxing here. And you just, just picture him just resting with his disciples, getting ready for the final run to Jerusalem. And there Jesus lays out the building blocks of knowing him and making him known. So we're just going to call these things God's bricks, okay? With our little props behind us here today. God's bricks, okay? And here, there's three of them I want to give you, three bricks. I was going to have some big construction blocks up here this morning and just, you know, be real macho and throw them around and then I thought I'd probably throw my back out, so let's not do that. Just picture bricks, okay? Here's the first one. Our belief in the real Jesus will bring real salvation. This is the first brick. Did you notice the first question? He says, who do others say I am? I, I am amazed of how confused the people were after all that he had done up until this point. And they say, John the Baptist, which means John, who'd been beheaded, had to come back to life in the person of his cousin Jesus. And you think, that sounds crazy? That's what Herod believed. Mark 6 tells us that. Some say Elijah. Well, you know, Elijah was an electrifying prophet, right? But he went up, he was raptured. He's a picture of the church. He's taken up in a chariot. And uh, so uh, the Jews had this to this day in the earnest belief that he's coming again. In fact, if you go to a Jewish setter, you will, if you during Passover, you'll they'll always leave an empty chair for Elijah to sit down if he shows up because they also leave the door open just in case Elijah comes back. So maybe he's Elijah. Some say Jeremiah. Don't really know why they threw Jeremiah in there except that Jeremiah cried a lot. And so did Jesus because he was rejected. Nobody listened to Jeremiah. And it must have seemed like when he, the masses were there and he said, I'm the bread of life, and they all left. 
And remember, he turned to his disciples, are you going to leave too? Remember, one of them says, we can't, you've got the words of life, why would we ever leave you? But how hard would that be? So they're just having this little give and take, little cell group, little small group session here. Who people say I am, and they're just, you, you know, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, maybe one of the other great guys of the Old Testament. And then Jesus says, okay, yeah, but verse 15, who do what? Who do you say? And the, he, the you is plural there. So he's not just, don't just think Jesus and Peter, even though they're going to face off here in a moment. He's talking to everybody. Who do you say? And I'm talking to everybody, including you online. Who do you say? Jesus is. That's the question. The question everybody's answering and asking today in our culture, in our day, is not who is Jesus. They're asking, who am I? You know, like, like the Enneagram. I didn't even know what an Enneagram was. The personality test. I, we're coming back from a pastor's thing a couple years ago, and yeah, you guys take the Enneagram. What's the Enneagram? I don't know. Oh, man, you're like a seven or an eight. You're a seven and an eight for sure. What in the world? Is that a bad thing I said? (laughs) Hey, what if we're asking the wrong question? The question isn't who you are. It's who is Jesus? That's the one who puts it all together and makes everything else make sense. And Peter steps up to the plate, right? You are the Christos. You are the anointed one. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. In essence, he says, you are in essence God. Remember, it was Jesus who said, I am the son of God. And I mean, he declared to be the son of God. In John chapter 5, they picked up stones to kill him because, he's, because he said God was his father making himself equal with God. Have you ever read that? That's John 5, 18. That's because he was God. So they're here in Caesarea Philippi, and all around this area that they're in are pagan temples, 14 to be exact. But the most prominent is the, is the, uh, was the temple to Pan, the god Pan. He, he, you know, you've seen pictures of him, upper body like a man, lower body like a goat holding a flute. By the way, the pan flute, some of you have heard of that, comes from the god Pan. He's famous for luring people into his sexual deviancy. And also, right there in the background was a place they called the Gates of Hell. I've been there three times. It's a beautiful area. This is pretty ominous, though. My friend Dave Heisterkamp here is pictured in front of what is known as the Great Gates of Hell. This was the backdrop of Jesus' conversation. So all this is going on, but the question amidst all the pagan belief and the idolatry and the dead religion that was all around them and all around some of you was not who am I, or who are these gods, these dead gods, these worthless idols, but who is Jesus? And if it's amazing to see that the disciples were saying, in spite of all Jesus did, the confusion about him, I think it's even more amazing today. How confused folks are. Let me tell you something, 85% of Americans believe in Jesus. Hallelujah! We're a Christian nation. I don't know about you, but there's something skewed about that percentage, don't you think? 
But 85% of people, scientific polls say they believe in Jesus. And so I take it that 85% of Americans believe in Jesus. The question is, what Jesus? Who's your Jesus? That's the question. Who is your Jesus? I've been thinking about the kind of Jesuses that are out there. There is the great teacher Jesus, all right? All right. I, I was in a synagogue one day sharing with a rabbi, laying down the gospel, telling him you need it, the New Testament is something you don't believe in. Oh, but Pat, you don't understand. And he reached over and pulled out a New Testament. I teach the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. He said it proudly, and I, I, I took it that he did. But he didn't make it beyond that where Christ died and rose again, didn't believe the gospel. I'm telling you, I have listened to somebody just the other day. Somebody looked at me. They told me they, they were in a captive audience. I was in that captive audience. There were about 100 people. He had at least 85% of which were not saved. And I, he goes, I've been asked to do the blessing. And, but I think I'll, you know, I said, yeah, you're going to give the gospel, right? Yeah. He talked for 15 minutes and never gave the gospel. I love this guy. I love him dearly, but he never gave the gospel. I don't get it. I don't get this. That, that's the teaching Jesus. That's, that's the Jesus who gives us good morals and tells us how to live with one another, how to live in this world. Hey, I like that Jesus, but that Jesus alone isn't going to save you. There's the guru Jesus. Now, this is going to get a little closer to home for some of you. You like my guru, Jesus? <laughs> He's the Jesus that I set next to my other Jesuses, my other idols. This is, I love my sport, and I love Jesus. I love my money, and Jesus. I love my family, and Jesus. I love my spouse, and Jesus. I love, and they're kind of on level. Let me tell you something. Jesus doesn't share his glory with anybody. Guru Jesus doesn't cut it. Then there's make me rich Jesus. We all know about him, right? <laughs> Dressed up like Joel, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagin, all these pagan preachers who use the name of Jesus. I'm probably making a few enemies. Oh, well. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's June, it's Pride Month, so how about LGBTQ Jesus? Now, this is the Jesus that just accepts everybody exactly the way they are. Don't mess with them. Let's just bring them all in. And there's social justice Jesus. We can't got to throw that in there. But my personal favorite is the Make America Great Jesus. That's my personal favorite right there. <laughs> he's my favorite. He's the, he's the white Jesus. He's Republican. Well, you better believe it. He's all about self-reliance. Yep, that's what he is. And he still thinks Donald Trump is president, but that's enough of that. <laughs> well, who's your Jesus? Who's your Jesus? The Corinthians were so, the Corinthians were, they were so gifted, so knowledgeable, just off the charts. And yet Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11 about this. He says, listen to this. Watch what he said to them. If someone comes and proclaims another, Greek word, another of a different kind, another Jesus, then the one we proclaim, if you receive a, say the word, different spirit from the one you received. If you accept a, say the word, 
different gospel from the one you accepted, you're going to put up with it. This is it. You'll put up with this. He's, he's saying that to the Corinthians. You'd put up with a different Jesus. Have you ever read that? Will the real Jesus please stand up? Stand out and step into your life and get rid of all these other crappy Jesuses that you're embracing that do not reflect the Jesus of the Bible. He's not Republican. He's not Democrat. He's not independent. He is God. He is the sovereign, real crucified and risen Lord Jesus, believe in him. That's the first building block that makes up the church of God. Secondly, I can calm it down. Our confession is the material Jesus uses to build his church. Now, Verse 18, this is, the, this is the question in our prequel to the series, what is the rock? Jesus said, Peter, who says, you know, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, he goes, on this rock, I will what? I'll build my church. Now, our friends in the Roman Catholic Church would tell us the rock is Peter. He's the vicar of Christ. He's the, he's the person of Christ here on earth. He's the su- successor since Peter but as we often say to new Christians, the first, one of the first verses I have to memorize is Romans 4, verse 3, which simply says, what does the Bible. Yeah, Scripture say. Good job, Ellen. He's one of the first guys I told. That's one of the first verses he ever memorized. <laughs> what does the Scripture say? That's the question we should be asking, right? What is this rock? Again, our, our, our friends in the Catholic Church say it's Peter. But how can it be Peter? Peter is the rock? Our faith is built on? Are you kidding me? Within seconds. I mean, granted, Jesus is laying out, who do you say I am? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. That's awesome. Bingo. Got it. And he says he's so proud of himself. Jesus, the next couple, in the next couple of verses, he starts telling them that I, I'm gonna, the son of God is going to have to come. He's going to have to die for you. He'll rise again. And Peter comes in and says, not you, Lord. That's never going to happen to you. And Jesus said, hey, get behind me, Satan. Oh, is that the guy you want to build your faith on? In Galatians chapter 2, Paul rebukes him. For crying out loud, he rebukes himself in his own epistle. He says, and he says he speaks to himself as one of the elders, like he's on equal ground with other elders. He says in chapter 5 to the other elders, don't lord over the flock. Aren't, isn't that what our friends at, in the Catholicism in Roman Catholic Church believe, that he is, the Pope is lord over the flock? Let me tell you something, not, not, not this Peter, not the Bible's Peter doesn't say that. So what's the answer to this? What is this? What is this rock? Well, some say Peter. We would say, eh, not right. Some would say it's Jesus himself. I, I once argued this position. I mean, you can just, you can get a plethora of scripture and pull it together and yank it out of its personal context and say, Jesus is a rock. First Corinthians 10 says he's a rock. The Old Testament tells us he's the rock. He's the rock that followed the, led the children of Israel in the desert, metaphorically. Jesus is the rock. But I don't think, That's what the context is teaching us. 
I don't think we have to look any farther than the passage itself. By the way, good place to start, by the way, right? In the passage you're looking at to find the answer to your question. Again, Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? What does Peter say? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Jesus blesses him for his confession. And, and he says as a result of this, you are Peter. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. You are Peter. That's the, that's the Greek word petros. Sounds a lot like Peter. It just means stone or rock. And then he says, on this rock, different word, Petra, massive rock. So you're Peter, little rock, massive rock. On this rock, I will build my church. So what is the rock? I think the text tells us pretty clearly. It's the confession of Peter. It's the stuff the church is built out of. I will build my church. The word build, by the way, uh, Oikadamo, it means, to, it means to build a house. That's what it means. It means to build a house. How is Jesus building his house? Through those who confess faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. That's how he's doing it. Brick by brick. We sent several contingencies to Togo, West Africa, where we helped to build a hospital. We have missionaries there today. And when one of our groups got back, one of our guys said, Pastor, there's a guy there who does nothing all day but make bricks. That's all he does is make bricks. I thought to myself, every time someone openly confesses Jesus Christ as Lord, Christ lays down another brick in the building of the church of God. So when you say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When that person does that, when you do that, you become the brick laid into that building. We are the building of God, 1 Corinthians 3 says. That's pretty awesome stuff. Would you agree? The confession. The confession is the material Jesus uses to build his church. And finally, our evangelism is the key to finishing the building. So after praising Peter and saying, it's, it's this very confession you just made that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build my church with. Jesus does do something for Peter. He, didn't, he wasn't made into a rock, but he was given a key, right? And I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. That's a, that's a powerful thought right there. Whatever you loose will be loosed. Vine will be bound. Heaven, earth, key. He's given the key. And you follow the scripture, Acts chapter 2. It's Peter who turns the key. Because what are keys for? Keys open, right? They open doors. And they lock doors, right? So it's Peter who opens up the gospel to the Jews in Acts chapter 2. It's Peter who opens up the gospel to the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. And it's Peter, hallelujah, who opens the gospel to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. He's literally given the keys. But it doesn't stay there because even the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, a great and effectual door has been opened to me. The keys weren't just for Peter. And if you know Jesus... 
If you know Jesus, you have been given a key. Have you ever um, rummaged around that junk drawer in your house or whatever it is and pulled out a key and stared at it for a while like, okay, where does this thing go? You ever done that? Uh, the house we used to own uh, did not have a universal. And you, we had like three doors to get in the house, and two of them same, had the same key. But the one in the back door, it had its own key. looked just like the others, but it, it, it was a different key. And so for like six years, we couldn't go through that door, and we locked it from the outside because we didn't have a key. I mean, we did, but we lost it. So one day, I, I pulled this key out, and I'm staring at it, looking a little tarnished. I'm thinking, what did this key go to? I walked around to that back door, stuck it in there, opened it right up. I'd had the key the whole time. And what's more, it still worked. It still worked. Now, to just pile upon illustrations, uh, John Nimmers, our evangelism pastor, preached a message just a week or so ago, a funeral message, did a great job. For his friend, this place was full of young people from the Sadal community. She died at 27 years of age. He went to school with her. They were friends. And he gave a powerful illustration. He said they had a certain class that they went to. And the teacher said, look, this is the main test. You make it to the test. You come to class on time, and I guarantee you'll pass the test. Talk about putting a low bar out there. But she said, but if you are late by one second, I will lock the door and you will not get in. Well, guess who tested that? Yep, John Nimmers. He was late. The door is locked. And he did not get in. Keys do two things. They unlock doors. They open doors. And if you don't know Jesus, the real Jesus the one who died and rose again for you? When you die, it'll be too late. The door will be locked from the inside and you will not get in. But if you know Jesus, what a privilege to be able to go to the construction site, this world, your world, and serve your master builder and opening up hearts of those who are incarcerated in their sins. This is amazing. Because I think some of you right now, this is an illustration of the gospel to you. It's, it's a key. You know about it. It's sort of tarnished because you haven't even looked at it, much less used it for years. I'm telling you, it still works if you believe it. It still works. Paul Seymour, our worship leader, told us just the other day he's going to be leaving soon because his grandpa is dying. And so we naturally asked Paul, I mean, does your grandpa know Jesus? I mean, that's always that question, you know, you got to ask, does he know Jesus? Does he know him? He was like the, he was the one who turned the key to our family. He brought the gospel. We were, our family, the Seymour family was, was freed from incarceration because of the grandpa. Hallelujah, what a legacy. Have you ever walked by a building that was left unfinished for a long period of time? 
It leaves you wondering, doesn't it? I, just the other day, I drove by one. I've seen it for over a year, and it's just the same. It just, it's like, are you ever going to finish this thing? I mean, here's, here's my wife standing in front of our house several years ago. And uh, so when you see that, what does that depict to you? Does that depict, yep, we're ready to move in? Uh, no. But does it also depict, oh, man, they're never going to get done? No. What it says to you, it's not finished, but it will be, right? Otherwise, you don't take pictures like that. Hey, let me show you the house that's never going to get finished. Some of you are intentionally leaving the work site. You're leaving the construction site. You're leaving the place where you put a couple of boards down, you've nailed a couple of boards in, and you walked away. The key still works. Get back on the construction site. What a privilege to work with Jesus. From confession to construction, Jesus is building his church. So why not join him on his site, your site, the world? And he, he throws some added encouragement here. He says, and the gates of hell will what? They're not going to prevail. He had the backdrop, but the gates of hell will not prevail against. That sounds threatening, doesn't it? That's verbiage that sounds like something fiendish coming after us. <laughs> the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Wrong. Gates don't attack. They hold people back. They, in this case, incarcerate people. Haters of Christianity, kings and princes and presidents and political leaders and media and social media platforms will not prevail. Haters of God will come and go like they have for years. They're dead. They're dying. The church lives on and advances against the forces of darkness, the gates of hell that can't hold it back. I think Jesus is saying, my plan to build my church includes attacking the very city of Satan. His domain where he has enslaved and incarcerated millions of people. And the good news, the great news is his gates won't hold. They can't hold. The gospel's way more powerful. The key still works. Saints of God, storm the gates. You are more than conquerors through him who loved you. Believe that. Jesus will build his church. The only question is, will you and I join him at the construction site? Let's pray. God, we thank you for our master builder, our Lord Jesus. And God, I am very concerned. I'm concerned for the people watching online. I'm concerned for people sitting in this room. Because some of them are worshiping another Jesus. They've embraced a different gospel. It's not yours, and they're still lost. The door is still open, but it will eventually be locked. And when they die in their sins, they'll want to get in, but they will not be able to. 
If that's you, dear friend, as we pray, if you would acknowledge that whatever Jesus you believe in is not the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of health, and it's the Jesus of wealth, the Jesus of some form of prosperity, it's the Jesus of entertainment. Let me tell you something, Guru Jesus isn't going to get you into heaven. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. His accomplished work on behalf of you for your sins. Trust him as your Savior. God, I pray for those who are followers of Jesus in this room and watching online. Would you just envision in your mind that key you saw a few moments ago? And that key representing the gospel. Is it, has it been shoved in some drawer, so to speak, in your home? Did it work once and, or maybe you didn't have such good results and you just, just quit using it? Still works. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you confess that to him now? And God, as we make our way to the Lord's table, that very thing that reminds us that we profess these things until you come, may we get our hearts right with you, we ask in Jesus' name.